Van Riken Productions presents The Tome, Episode 6. Written by Gerald Van Riken. Performed by a full cast. Welcome back, dear listeners, to the harrowing conclusion of our chilling tale. Before we begin, let's take a look at where we have been. Detective Ray Graham had come to Professor Augustus Hawthorne to seek his aid in investigating a ritualistic murder. The victim, one Edgar Marshfield, had been dumped in the river with unknown markings carved into his corpse. Little did Detective Graham know that these symbols greatly resembled markings found in a book the professor had recently purchased. Hawthorne did not share this information. Graham then visited the wife of the deceased, Alice Marshfield, learning that Edgar had become unhealthily obsessed with a book, and on the night he disappeared, seemed to not be himself. Ray then visited Glenn at Glenn's Book Nook, confirming that the book had been purchased there, but he had never seen it before. Professor Hawthorne, while attempting to decode the symbols on the body, became possessed by a mysterious force contained within the book. He ventured into the woods, mysterious voices encouraging him to find the others. The voices led him to a clearing where against his will, Hawthorne was forced to shed his own blood, nearly dying in the process, awakening strange, shadowy figures from another realm. Meanwhile, Graham enlisted the help of Officer Cindy Henley, who agreed to aid him in finding Hawthorne. And find him they did, the old man barely alive. He was rushed to the hospital. A couple of days later, they visited the professor in the hospital, only to learn nothing amongst the man's seemingly insane ramblings. Taking the day off, the two ventured to their own homes, Ray being knocked unconscious and Cindy brawling with a mysterious, cloaked figure. Ray awoke in a sewer with a headache to find himself tied up and was interrogated by another cloaked man. Besting his captor, Ray escaped onto the streets of Twin Rivers. Cindy awoke in a bloody aftermath, her assailant dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. She ventured to the police station to find that all of her fellow officers had been brutally murdered by an unknown force. Fearing for Ray and his wife Diane, she vanished into the night to find them. Diane Graham struggled with dreams of her and her husband's unborn child that quickly turned to nightmares. And she awoke to find her house being tossed by still more robed individuals. Thinking quickly, she took the intruders out with a baseball bat and rushed to find her husband. Ray, while returning to Professor Hawthorne at the hospital, found that Glenn was being attacked by a horrifying creature with a bird mask for a face and a hungry, slathering maw. He forced the monster away, 
bringing Glenn and his husband Bradley back to the hospital, only to find that Cindy had visited his home and had not awoken his wife. They set out to collect her. They found Diane and returned to the hospital. There they learned what was truly going on. The town was being overtaken by creatures known as the Others. Ancient beings once trapped in a book by a long-lost civilization. Their goal was simple, feed on every soul in the world and gain enough power to destroy everything in their path. They devised a plan to find the book, which they believed to be inside the statue of the founder of Twin Rivers in the town square, and hopefully defeat these monsters with Hawthorne's help. As the night wanes, our heroes press forward, determined to save their town from the insatiable hunger of the others. They know that the battle ahead will test their strength, their courage, and their resolve. In this gripping episode, light will vie for power with encroaching darkness, sacrifices will be made, and the true power of the ancient evil will be revealed. The hardware store stood dark and cold at the back of a parking lot on the north side of town. Glenn and Bradley approached carefully. Are you sure about this? You heard the others, sweetie. We need a sledgehammer. If you have a better idea, I'm open to it. Bradley was silent. Glenn nodded, and they proceeded. The bookstore owner had his little snub-nosed pistol drawn and ready, hammer cocked. They found the doors to the store unlocked. Apparently, nobody thought to lock up after the power went out. They stepped inside the darkened store. Moving quickly, Glenn found a pair of flashlights, and they breathed a sigh of relief when they worked. All right, let's split up. Find hammers. They did so, moving out through the store. It was no Home Depot but it was not a small building either. They searched carefully, casting their flashlights up at the aisle signs. It wasn't long before Bradley called out. I found them! No sooner than he had spoken did they hear a terrifying cry from outside. The doors to the store flew open and the sound of footsteps entered. Glenn immediately ducked down behind a display praying that Bradley was doing the same. In the pitch blackness, he heard the footsteps walk deeper into the store, followed by another howl from the creature. Glenn listened carefully to the sound of footsteps, sweat beating on his brow, heart pounding. The steps were getting closer. When they reached a certain point, they stopped, and Glenn took a leap of faith. He ducked behind the creature, into an aisle, moving towards the door. In the darkness, he bumped into the chubby form of Bradley and breathed a sigh of relief. His husband was carrying two large sledgehammers. Glenn tapped him on the shoulder, and only being able to see silhouettes in the darkness, motioned towards the door and began to creep. As they managed to slip out of the store, Glenn's heart stopped 
as he heard Bradley stumble loudly on the stairs leading up to the door. Bradley whimpered and hid behind Glenn, who raised his weapon as the figure, nothing more than a dark smudge against the blackness, stepped out of the store into the moonlight. He saw the strange bird mask and shivered before he opened fire. The figure disappeared in a puff of black smoke. He breathed a sigh of relief as he waited and was greeted only by silence in the aftermath of the echoing gunshots. Detective Graham checked his watch. 3.30 a.m. They had a couple hours to go until sunrise, but he had no way to know if the coming of morning would even put an end to this. He looked over at Officer Henley, who was pushing Professor Hawthorne in his wheelchair, as they made their way to the police station to gather weapons. You okay, Cindy? No. No, I'm not. Yeah, me neither. You can stay outside if you want. Oh, yeah. And just leave myself alone and open to those monsters? No, thank you. You're right. Sorry. After a few minutes of awkward silence, they came upon the abandoned police station. Inside, they walked quickly in the direction of the arms locker at the back of the building. They had to pass through the main office. Ray nearly threw up as he saw the sheer carnage, the piles of corpses, the crucified man on the wall. All of it was absolutely horrifying, and this horror was reflected on the face of Hawthorne, who looked to be holding back the contents of his own stomach. Dear God. I... caused this. No sense in beating yourself up for it if you were possessed. Let's focus so we can end this. Cindy had to focus only on the door they were moving to, in order to not see the massacre around her. The bodies were beginning to bloat and stink. She held her breath until Ray reached the weapons room and shoved his way in. Inside, they found several racks of firearms of all types. Numerous revolvers lined a wall, and racks of rifles and shotguns were scattered about. Cindy had left her own shotgun back at the hospital, so she slung a new one over her shoulder and strapped a large pistol to her hips. These were not standard issue, but the station had never been hesitant to confiscate weapons from the evidence locker. Graham chose a bolt-action rifle in addition to his usual sidearm, and stuffed several other pistols and revolvers into a bag, along with the appropriate ammunition for each of their chosen weapons. Making sure all firearms were loaded, they made their way back outside. Out in the open air, the detective turned to Hawthorne. He reached into the bag and pressed a revolver into the old man's hand. There's six bullets in here. Five for them, and one for me, if they get me. We ready? The other two nodded the affirmative, and they headed back towards the center of town. It took about a half an hour to reach the square, and as they approached the statue, they saw Glenn and Bradley jogging up as well. Are we all ready? Bradley held up the sledgehammers. Then let's get to it. Graham pressed a better gun into Glenn's hand, 
and held one out to Bradley, who looked frightened. I've never fired a gun. What if I shoot you? Don't do that. Wide stance, two hands. Aim, deep breath, pull the trigger on the exhale. Don't put your finger near the trigger unless you're going to fire it. Bradley took the weapon hesitantly, carefully following the instruction not to touch the trigger. All right. Cindy, Bradley, circle the statue. Weapons up. They rolled Professor Hawthorne away from the statue and followed Ray's directions. When everyone was in place, he hefted the hammer, and the sounds of metal on stone echoed across the square. Glenn grabbed the other hammer and joined in. Over and over again, they bashed at the stone. At first, nothing was happening. But after several minutes, a wide crack appeared, and their hits began to take off huge chunks. The others were coiled like springs, jumping at shadows. Bradley heard an owl hoot in the distance and let out a terrified whimper. Officer Henley kept her composure, eyes darting around the plaza. It took a solid ten minutes for Graham and Glenn to make a significant dent in the base of the statue. Having torn a good chunk of stone away, they began to hammer away with renewed vigor when they saw, embedded in the rock, the corner of a leather-bound tome. Eventually, the book was uncovered and shockingly unharmed. Ray stepped back, breathing heavily, and Glenn approached and picked up the book, immediately dropping it as he felt the pages. That's human skin. That's actual human skin. Oh, God. Ray picked up the book and handed it to Professor Hawthorne. As he did, they heard a now familiar shriek. They're here. Hawthorne, get reading. The professor struggled to wheel his chair close to the statue behind the people with guns and flipped open the book. After staring at the pages for a long moment, he began to speak in a harsh, guttural language that no one recognized. As all this was happening, the bird-masked figures emerged from the surrounding darkness, stepping into the moonlight about a hundred yards away. They shrieked again and made a rush for the group. They opened fire. Bradley's bullet went horribly wide, but the rest would have connected had the creatures not dematerialized and reappeared in another spot in the square. The bullets continued to fly, and the professor read as fast as he could. The creatures continued to shriek and dodge gunfire. As they got close, the group was horrified to see strange, shadowy tentacles now protruded from each of their backs. The creatures got closer. The shooters reloaded and continued to fire. During a reload, one of the creatures came scarily close to Cindy, a tentacle whipping out and wrapping around the officer's throat. She immediately began to choke, her eyes bulging. Graham fired around into the thing, but this time it didn't disappear. It took the bullet, black blood leaking onto the ground. It continued to strangle the woman in its grasp, the mask opening up 
and the long, whip-like tongue creeping forward to lick the side of her face. Ray fired two more rounds while the rest were still dealing with the remaining other. Hawthorne did not take his eyes off the book, nor did he stop reading, but he did cock back the hammer on his revolver. The creature was unfazed by the bullets, but the blood was profusely gushing now. Ray felt panic creeping up his spine. Cindy was going to die here. Hawthorne spoke another line of text. His voice rising in intensity, and suddenly there was a flash of light, and the creature strangling Officer Henley was blasted back. She collapsed to the ground. When the light faded, they stood in a ring of bright light. Hawthorne continued to read. The two creatures paced around them, unable to pass through. Cease fire! I think we're almost there. The bullets stopped as the professor's voice rose in volume. The creatures wailed again, but the tone was different. It sounded as though they were in pain, scared. Suddenly, the creatures were no longer there. They exploded into billowing clouds of shadow that surrounded their protective ring like a dome, shrieking, filling the air. Ray looked confused until he heard a small voice call to him. Daddy? It's me, Toby. Please help me. The monsters are very mean. Ray looked down to see a small boy in blue overalls standing on the outside of the ring, his tiny features looking sad. He knew it wasn't real. His child had never been born, but there was a part of his brain that believed it was. This little boy looked just like himself and Diane, with wide blue eyes and a mop of dirty blonde hair. You aren't real. Go away. He felt tears burning in his eyes. Daddy, I am real. The monsters took me away from mommy. I'm trapped with them. That's not true. Go away. Stop this. Please save me, Daddy. Come out of the circle. It's the only way. Ray shut his eyes tight. He tried desperately to block out the pleas of his unborn child and focus on the professor's voice. He could tell that the others were experiencing something similar based on the shouts and crying that he could hear. The professor ceased reading. He looked up from the book and spoke in English. With this book, I banish you, monster. Return to the shadows from whence you came! There wasn't any sort of explosion or burst of magic. There wasn't any spectacle at all. Instead, the creatures simply reappeared, standing outside the circle of light, and with a final howl of defeat, dissolved into shadow, which was immediately drawn into the book in the professor's hands. The night was silent once again. The circle of light faded. Ray immediately ran to Cindy's prone form. He crouched over her and tapped her face gently with his hand. Her eyes fluttered open. Hey, detective. Hey there, officer. Nice work. We did it? I think so. 
What about the professor? They both looked over at the old man, who was slumped over in his wheelchair, unmoving. Glenn ran over to him and placed two fingers on his neck, desperately seeking a pulse. He's gone. Everyone was silent for a long moment, a short, silent vigil for a man who died fixing his mistakes. As they stood there, the sky began to lighten, and the first pink fingers of dawn crept across the sky. They had made it. We should get the old man's body somewhere safe, then check the town for survivors. I reckon those things got to a lot of them. Everyone nodded. Glenn and Bradley offered to take the body to the hospital to be put in the morgue. Ray felt completely numb, and judging from Cindy's expression, she was right there with him. The next few weeks were bitter. Survivor's guilt ran rampant as the group found that most of the town had been killed by the others. A handful of townsfolk survived mostly those who had been working at the hospital overnight. Over the coming days, they all collectively decided to pack up and leave. Most of them had not witnessed what happened, but they had all lost family members and friends. Ray and Cindy spent a long time gathering bodies from the police station, digging individual graves behind the main building. They buried their comrades without fanfare, only mumbled prayers and angry tears. Standing up from a freshly dug grave, Ray brushed off his pants and looked over at Cindy, who was covered in dirt herself. How are you feeling? That's a dumb question. You're right. Sorry. Do you think you'll stay? Not a chance. Most of the town is dead and the rest are leaving. Even Glenn's packing his bags and he's been here since he was a kid. Makes sense. Too much has happened here. At least we did a good thing here. Hard to see the big picture in the face of such a terrible small one. We can save the world all we want, if we even did that. But when all your friends and family are dead because of it, what was it all for? I understand how you feel. Diane came to me the other day. We talked. She had a dream about our child. The one we lost. I told her about what I saw that night. We finally talked about the grief we've both been feeling. She wants a divorce. I do too. We're not the same anymore. I'm so sorry, Ray. It's okay. It hurts right now, but I'll move on. We all will. The two finished their grisly task in silence. They knew that people all over town were also burying loved ones. When the deed was done, they looked at each other. One thing left. Think Glenn's already there? The fall air was crisp and cold as the four saviors of Twin Rivers gathered on the lawn at the back of Professor Hawthorne's home. A freshly packed grave stood between them all, no headstone. Ray, Cindy, Glenn, and Bradley stood somberly, heads bowed. I can't say much about Professor Hawthorne. Didn't know him too well. But his records show he didn't have any family left, so 
here I go. He was a smart man. Loved books. Loved books a little too much, actually. What happened wasn't his fault. He didn't deserve the death he got. The group gave a half-hearted amen, shuffling their feet awkwardly. They turned their attention to a freshly built stone fire pit, in the middle of which sat a sinister-looking leather-bound book, sitting amongst the logs and twigs. Beside the pit sat a jerry can of gasoline, which Cindy promptly emptied over the book. All the survivors agreed we were going to leave without alerting anyone. When they find this place empty in a few months, hopefully winter will be wiping all evidence away. Cindy lit a match and threw it on top of the book, and the whole pit went up in a column of flame. As it burned, Graham moved over to stand next to Glenn. What did you see? There was no need for elaboration. Glenn sighed. My mom. Cancer took her a few years ago. We weren't really close. She left here after I moved out. But I never got to say goodbye. You? Ray put a hand on his shoulder. Let's just say my demons are put to bed for now. I'm glad. Time moved on healing some wounds while leaving others forever scarred. The events of Twin Rivers remained a closely guarded secret among the survivors, a haunting memory that could never fully escape. As the seasons changed and life carried on, they each found their own paths, forever linked by the harrowing experience that had forged an unbreakable bond between them. Detective Ray Graham embraced a new life in Evansville, his past a distant echo. As a police consultant, he used his expertise to help others navigate the darkness lurking in the shadows. Though he carried the weight of his losses, he channeled his pain into serving justice, finding solace in his work. Officer Cindy Henley's life took a different direction as she returned to Indianapolis. Leaving behind the force, she found purpose in caring for animals as a veterinary assistant. Her compassionate heart allowed her to heal and find joy in her new relationships, knowing that she had been a part of something greater than herself. Maverick remained with her, a very good boy for the rest of his days. Glenn and Bradley found a new home in Maine, where they rekindled their passion for books by reopening their beloved bookstore. Life brought them love and happiness, but tragedy struck when Bradley succumbed to his heart condition. Glenn's heartache became a driving force for good as he dedicated himself to helping others at the local homeless shelter. Twin Rivers became a ghost town, its memory fading with each passing year. Nature reclaimed the deserted streets, hiding the horrors that once plagued the town. In the years that followed, the survivors occasionally thought of each other, wondering how their lives had unfolded. But they understood the necessity of moving on, of building new futures from the ashes of the past. And through it all, they knew that their shared ordeal had made them stronger.
And so, dear listeners, we come to the end of our chilling tale. As we bid farewell to Twin Rivers and its brave inhabitants, let us remember that even in the face of the most malevolent darkness, there is a spark of light that can never be extinguished. It is the light of courage, friendship, and the unyielding belief that good will triumph over evil. Thank you for joining us on this journey, and may the lessons learned from Twin Rivers guide us all towards a brighter, safer future. Until we meet again, dear listeners, may you find courage in the face of darkness and hope in the embrace of the dawn. Farewell. <laughs>